as we begin, and there's be, there'll be several scriptures that will kind of key in together this morning. Today I'm concluding a series of messages that we've been preaching all fall concerning the church. Paul in Ephesians 5 describes the people of God as a glorious church. Noticeable, unique, standing out, standing up, clear in beliefs, clear in lifestyle. And as I conclude, uh, this has been a challenging week. And nationally, whether through the election results and what the results tell us about our nation or personally, uh, maybe some of you have had a season of personal difficulty or, or challenge uh, through the news of a health concern or maybe the persistence of a health issue, maybe through news of uh, employment change or uncertainty through financial challenges or maybe you've been experiencing family issues. Today I want us, as we conclude this series of messages, to draw us back to the core. To the center. It's good to be centered. It's good to come back to the core, to the, to the origination, to the foundation, to the anchor, to the thing that won't move, the thing that won't change, the thing that, depending on popular opinion or not, it's not going anywhere. This morning I want to draw you back to the core, to the center not only for your encouragement, but also to remind you what a glorious gospel not only do we have, but we have to share. The mission field of the United States continues to be all around us. And there are people clamoring and looking and searching whose hearts are yearning for that core. They're yearning for that center. They're on a search. They're looking in many places. They're chasing many things. They're taking many different kinds of substances into their body. They're receiving and believing many lies. They are looking. They are searching for what we have. It'd be like if, uh, I don't know if anybody in here does, but if you don't, don't identify yourself because uh, anybody has a million dollars in the bank today. It's like having a million dollars in the bank and driving by Someone that you know is truly homeless and hungry. Hopefully, the Holy Spirit would prompt us to do something about that, to pour something out, to give some assistance and aid. But what if we were to drive by? Not even a dollar, five, ten, not even put anything into the hand of that homeless, needy person. My friend today, if you know Christ, you have a pearl of great price. You have life. You have purpose. 
You have a destiny. You have a hope. You have a belief that's sure. We just heard it wonderfully sung for us in all of its facets. That Christ, that belief lives in me, lives in you. And around us are people who are void, who have not Christ. We have an obligation not only to reacquaint ourselves with the center, but I pray today that the Lord would stir our hearts in a new way to be sharing, to be speaking up, to be loving, to be giving out, to be pouring out from our life. It's so easy, is it not, just to get self-focused. It's so easy to draw in. It's so easy to look in. It's so easy to get comfortable within. It's so difficult at times to look out and to stretch out and to reach out. But these days, the harvest, my friend, is white. Jesus said these words, and they're true today. There's hunger, and there's need, and it's, it's, it's pervasive. It's across our population today, and we have the food. We have the life. And so today, my prayer is that we're challenged once again, not only with the truth of the gospel for us, but what we have to give It's what Jesus and Paul called the good news or glad tidings or the gospel. And the gospel in a nutshell is the saving message of God's work through Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, if you've turned there, Paul puts it in several sentences for us. What is this gospel? Let me read for you starting with verse 1. Now, brothers... I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, Paul, also, as to one abnormally born. That, my friends, is the gospel. Christ, the Son of God, given for man's sinfulness and raising from the dead for man's life and justification. My friends, this is a glorious gospel. This is a saving gospel. This is a over and above gospel. This is a gospel, and we heard it sung here during communion time. It was a gospel that God initiated. It was his idea. It was calculated and prepared from the foundation of the world that Christ would come as a ransom. He would come as an atonement. He would come to bring us back. And aren't you glad that he didn't wait for us to come to him? 
In fact, Romans says there is not one that reaches for God. There is not one. If it wasn't for the long arm of the Lord, none of us would be reached for. We would have never done the reaching. We would have never initiated toward God. God is the great initiator. He's the great reacher. And he's the one that started salvation's plan toward us. It's astounding what we have received. And I want to talk about that for a few moments this morning. The gospel should capture our heart. The gospel, when we reacquaint ourselves with all that has taken place through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, there should be something about that atonement that captures us. That ignites a passion in us. That stirs us. That stirs us away from a complacency and moves us toward giving the good news to those that need it so desperately. I wonder if the American church today is unstirred because we're too far away from the cross. We're down the road of self-help and we're down the road of making life work and we're down other roads and we're not close to the cross as we should be because at the foot of the cross and the understanding of the cross, there's a stirring, there's a passion, there's a desire to share that good news. I don't know about you, but I know folks in the congregation that you really can't tell them a piece of good news. At least as a secret. Did you ever try that? You've got something that's so good. You've got such a piece of information that's so wonderful. that, that But you've been told it, you need to hold it to yourself. And you just... I know some of you, you're like, well, maybe if I just, I'll just try to get them to ask about it. Don't you want to ask me something? Aren't you questioning why I have this smile on my face? We try to maneuver away to try to get that, that good news out of someone else. My friend, the good news of Jesus today shouldn't be something someone has to pry out of us. <laughs> Oh, come on, I know you know Christ. Come on. Talk to me about him. Come on. Share something about him. I mean, you seem to love him. I mean, you're in church. I mean, you're raising your kids to know Christ. I mean, I mean, you know, you go, you go to, to youth group. You go to FM. I mean, you're in that worship band. I mean, to try to pry something out of us. The good news is such by definition that it should be just so good that we want to say something about it. We want to do something about it. We want it to move us into speaking and into action. Because you know what? That good news may fall on the ears of a very hungry person. And in that moment, that hungry person, unbeknownst to you, may say, could, could you kind of, could we pray? This has happened to me recently. And I'm a pastor, and it just about blew me off my chair. They're coming to me to ask me if I can lead them to Christ. It was never an arm-twisting, come on, you need to accept Christ. Come on, you need to accept Christ. It was, that just tells me how much hunger there is. How much searching there is. Let the good news that's in you come out. Be shared. Be expressed. 
be given. Go back with me to Romans 5. I want us to look at a few verses there where Paul takes the gospel, the great theologian that he was, teacher that he was, and Romans is just a wonderful theological treatise that tells us the richness of the gospel. And sometimes those of us that have known Christ for a long time and we're familiar with the gospel, it's good to go back and dig in. Because we sometimes just relegate the gospel to the surface. My sins are forgiven, my sins are forgiven, my sins are forgiven. When really, it's good to mine the richness. It's really good to go deep into what our salvation has brought to us. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. The gospel, my friend, is good news because it brings us peace with God. You see, God has not always been pleased with man. In fact, as Adam and Eve were escorted out of the garden on that day, God's pleasure with man was over. Why? Because his holiness, confronted with the sinful rebellion of man, created in God a wrath. Created in God an anger. Because holiness cannot coexist with sin. It can't, it's not that God doesn't want to. He can't. It's not that God wishes that he could bridge the gap or to get over to reach for sinful man. Of course, we're talking before Christ. It's that in his holiness, he can't. You see, holiness is being other than us. It's also being flawless or perfect or without sin. In Psalm 99, 9, it says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. And so holiness and sinfulness cannot cohabitate. They cannot relate. Man is not only born a sinner, but man commits sin. So not only were we born into this condition, but little Piper... It won't take little Piper very long. And it won't take little Susie and Charlie, little Susie, little Susie and little Charlie, her mom and dad, very long to see that sweet little sensitive bundle of innocent joy has a sin nature. Do you remember when you saw it for the first time in your child? Mine. Mine. No, that's a good one, Joan. All four of your kids probably said that, didn't they? No. Mine. Selfishness. No. Rebellion. Really? In a tiny little innocent baby? Yes. Why? Sin nature. We inherited it. It's in us, and not only is it our condition, but it's our disposition. It's the way that we choose it's the things that we do we not only came as sinners we do sinful stuff we are sinners 
And therefore, sin brings God's wrath and anger. Anger and wrath because of sin is an affront to his character and his being. God cannot and does not wink at sin. He doesn't just overlook it and go, you know, it's going to be okay. It's all right. Hey, it's all right. I mean, you know and I know, but it's okay. I'll let you have a pass on that one. No. In his holiness, he cannot. It's not that he doesn't want to. He cannot. So what's the remedy? What's the remedy for God's wrath? What's the remedy for God's anger? Because outside of a remedy, we are the object. The remedy is we are the object. The the, the wrath, the anger has to be expressed and focused. And if we're sinful and if we're sinners, the wrath is pointed to me and the wrath is pointed to you. There has to be an object. So his anger is poured out on the sinner or his anger is poured out upon a perfect carrier of our sin. The Bible calls this propitiation, which means that Christ satisfied God's wrath by his death on the cross. What happened to Christ on the cross that day? Our sin was laid upon him. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, And he became sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in Christ. So on that day that Jesus hung on the cross, and he was saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was not only experiencing the weight of the sin, He was taking the wrath of his father. He was incurring the anger of God, of which I never want to incur, and I'm sure you never do either. So we have peace with God. Verse 2 says it. We have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Simply said, yet profoundly accomplished Christ hung between sinners and a holy God and he took the blows of God's wrath and anger caused by our sin because Christ stepped in and took our place we are put right with God we are justified with God we are guiltless before him we are acquitted of every sin you are deeply loved by God You are deeply loved by God. Why? He's not angry anymore. Christ took the anger. Christ took the punishment. Sometimes I hear, why, even by Christians, why is God angry with me? He's not. God poured all of his anger, every ounce of it, out on his son. So that you and I can be loved deeply. Isn't that good news? Aren't those glad tidings? Isn't that a message that people that you know would love to hear? Because there are people all over the world and around here in this community that think 
God is punishing them. God is angry with them. God has, wants to pour out his wrath on them. Oh, no, he doesn't. He wants to pour and has poured his wrath out on his son so he can love them deeply. He wants not to punish them. He wants to love them deeply. That's what they need to hear. Isn't that what you needed to hear? That's what I needed to hear, that I am loved deeply. Secondly, the gospel is good news because we can be identified with Christ. This is part of the blessing of this word that Paul uses, being justified or put into right standing with God. You see, we've been given a position with God in Christ. The moment that you accepted Christ, God placed you in a position of righteousness. He put you in a position of righteousness. Now, did you become righteous the day that you accepted Christ? I didn't. I'm still not there. Is anybody there? Okay. We're still not there. There's still sanctification that has to be done. There's still cleaning up and cleaning out that has to be done in our everyday life. But when we stepped into Christ and we said, Jesus Christ, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. He took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. He put us in a position with God of righteousness. The great exchange. Isn't that a good exchange? I don't know how many of you barter or how many of you try to wheel a deal at a market. But this is a great exchange. I will give up my sinfulness and the death that that brings for your righteousness. Sounds like a good deal to me. Doesn't sound like a good deal for you, but it sounds like a great deal for me. And through this justification, that is what's taken place. So now we are identified with Christ. We are positionally righteous. I was showing this little illustration to some folks this week. Good little illustration helps us remember this. This white linen this morning depicts or symbolizes Christ. His purity, his flawlessness, his righteousness. And when we accept Christ, we come into the family of God, and the great exchange is made. We who are sinful... We who have been rebellious, we who are wayward, now are covered in the righteousness of Christ. Now, are we perfect? No. Are we living righteous lives in every way? No. Sanctification is an ongoing work. And it won't quit until you see Christ. You'll have to keep working with the Spirit and working out your salvation and and following Him and laying things down and obeying Him in new ways. That will continue on. But the day that you met Christ, you gave your position of sinfulness and you took the position of righteousness. And now in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that we are in him we are in christ 
2 Corinthians 5.21 says, We have the righteousness of Christ. What does this mean? Perfection on our part? No. Covering of Christ over our life? Yes. So that when God looks upon us, He looks at the righteousness of Christ. He looks at His Son when we're in Him. Oh, but God, I'm this and I'm that. And this is wrong and that is wrong. And I've got this problem and I keep falling into this sin. And you know what God says? He says, I know. I know that's who you are. And I will work with you. And I will cleanse you. And I will help you. And I will empower you. But when I look at you, I see my son. Because you are in him isn't that great news isn't that a glad tiding isn't that something to rejoice about you and i if we know christ we're in him he's done it he's got it all covered he's got it all handled he's got today handled he's got the future handled he's got your eternity handled you're in christ what good news don't you believe today that there are people all around you that would love to hear that They would love to hear that. They're just tired of trying to be good enough, trying to work their way to God, trying to do enough good things. And certainly God in the end will count me worthy because I've just done so many good things. You know what? That's tiring, even on the Christian side of things. Very tiring. We don't have to work for Christ to be accepted by Christ. We're already in. We are in Christ. What good news what good news it's a gift my friend given to us through salvation and number three it's a sign of a good sermon three points just wanted to let you know in case you were evaluating out there i know no one ever evaluates but i love that third the gospel is good news because we belong to god And we are fully accepted by him. I want to stop there for just a minute. Let that one soak. We belong to God. And you and I are fully accepted by him. That sounds so simple, but so many believers are not living in that acceptance. They're living in the working, 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 doing, 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 striving, 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 striving. If I do more, if I pray more, if I go more, God will accept me. If I can achieve a certain level of sanctification and holiness, then God's going to wink at me. He's going to smile at me. I'm going to get his acceptance. You already have it. God is smiling at you today. Zephaniah three seventeen says, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save, he will rejoice over you with joy. King James says, Sing over you. You are already accepted. You don't have to do anything. If you've accepted him, he has accepted you. There's nothing else left to be done. 
In fact, in Ephesians 1, 4, it says, He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. We are family. Now, you may not be the perfect son or daughter. I was. I was the only daughter, so of course I was the perfect one. I don't know who the perfect son is. I won't get into that. But you have been taken in as family. That's such an important concept in this day and age. Why? Families are so broken. Families are so broken today. Kids are so broken today. The family situation is so so broken and so mismatched and so stirred about. But you know what? God says it doesn't matter what your earthly family is. You're mine. You belong to me. You're my son. You're my daughter. You make me happy. I smile over you. I approve of you. You're mine. I accept you. Good news. Don't you think there are a lot of people that would like to hear that? There are people that are in their 50s and 60s and they're still living for acceptance and approval that they never found from their mom or from their dad. They're still working up the corporate ladder. They're still buying certain things. They're still attaining education. They're still doing a lot of things. They're driven, 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 driven for something that's already been given to them. Full and complete acceptance by a loving and benevolent God. It's good news. It's good news. Romans eight fifteen and 16 says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. I love that. Because fear is the motivator that makes us strive and try and work. Fear, fear of hell, fear of not making it, fear of not being good enough, fear of, of not being smart enough, fear of not performing well enough. There's all kinds of fears. And here it says, Paul says, we didn't receive a spirit of, of fear that makes us a slave again. But we have received the spirit of, you're my boy. That's the New Living Translation. The message. You only know that was funny if you were following along. But you received the spirit of, you're my boy. You're my princess. You're my girl. And by, by him we cry, Daddy, Daddy. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's boys and girls. We're his. We got it. If you look in your life and you say, I got a father gap. It's been filled You might say, well, I have a mother gap. It's been filled. Family's been created for you. When God said, I want you as my boy. I want you as my girl. He made the choice. Isn't that how adoption works? Adoption is a choosing. Many of you have biological children. 
that came from you, and that's a beautiful thing. But there's something unique and wonderful, is there not, Todd Elvis? When you say, you know what? I've had this boy in my home. I know him. I know where his challenges are. I know the things that are just going to cause us a lot of concern. But you know what? Today, we're getting our finest clothes on. We're getting in the van. We're going to the courthouse. Because today, we're going to stand before a judge. And we're going to say to the judge and to the county, we want him. We want him to be Gabe Alvis in our family. We want him. Yes, we know. We know who, fought, who birthed him. We know all the issues. We know all the problems. We all know the deficits. We know the things that we're going to face. We haven't been there. We haven't experienced them all. But we choose him. We want him. And today, Gabe Alvis runs around the church with that blonde hair flowing in the wind. He's Gabe Alvis. Because... He was chosen. Today, God looks at us and he knows our maladies and our flaws and our faults and our broken places and our wounded places. He knows where we slip up and fall. He knows where we stumble. He knows where we have to keep going back and saying, I'm sorry, God, for the 50. 50-